and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to yours. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 1. This evening, we are going to begin a study of the book of Ephesians. And this is going to be a textual study, not an expository study. Now, for those of you that don't know the difference, an expository study is where you really take a verse of Scripture and you go into it in incredible detail, where you look at it word for word and you really explore it and expound on it in that kind of great detail. If we're going to be doing an expository study of Ephesians, we'd start in verse 1 and we'd start with the first word, Paul, and then we'd look at the background of Paul. We'd look at where Paul came from. We look at the conversion of Paul. We look at how Paul came to Ephesus, when that happened, and so forth. And then we look at the next word, next significant word, an apostle. And we would consider what an apostle is. And we'd go into all of the detail about that. That's an expository teaching where you really go in depth, in great depth, looking at a verse of scripture and carrying that through an entire epistle. If we were to do that, we'd spend a year doing that. And that would be wonderful, and that would be fun, but it's not necessarily what would be most beneficial for an open fellowship where you have new people coming all the time, and they're sort of jumping in in the middle and sort of lost, and and perhaps a bit too much detail, too much meat of the word for somebody's initial exposure to it. A textual teaching, instead of going into it in that kind of detail, a textual teaching looks at the overall flow of it. It gets more of a feel of what it's talking about, more of the scope of it. You get more of an idea of the, the message of it overall rather than really looking and breaking it down into its individual parts. A textual teaching is designed to be more practical in that Yes, when you're dealing with very doctrinal matters, it's, it helps you to underst- excuse me, understand that. But then when you get into the practical side, it's really geared toward how to apply it. And with the doctrinal side, it's looking at the broad strokes, the broad themes, rather than all of the individual detail of it. So with that introduction, <clears throat> we'll look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, what I will tell you in terms of background of it, Ephesians is one of the three great doctrinal epistles or treatises. The first one's Romans, the second one is Ephesians, and the third one is Thessalonians. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, those seven epistles, those are the all-truth to this administration. It is that part of the Word of God that is written specifically to us. And there's more detail that I could go into in terms of the background of that, but I don't want to give you so much on the overall. 
I want to get into Ephesians. Ephesians really deals with who we are in Christ. Romans deals with how God saved us. It deals with the believer's past. Ephesians deals with the believer's present. And Thessalonians deals with the believer's future with the return of Christ. So Ephesians, then, is who we are now, what it is that we have in Christ, what God made us to be. Not where we came from, although that's referred to in some places in Ephesians. It's referenced, it's, it's talked about briefly, but it really focuses on what it is we now have as a result of what God did for us in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That first verse is what's called the salutation. And it tells us who it's written to. This is written to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So anyone that's in that category of being faithful in Christ Jesus, this epistle is written to. In other words, it's written to the church of God. It's written to the believers. It's written to those that are born again of God's Spirit. Verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that's mentioned after saying who it's to is grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace is God's divine favor. We have God's favor in our lives. God's favor. And that's something that you should think about every single day. Every single day, think about God's grace, God's favor in your life. You know, a lot of um, literary works feature a benefactor. A lot of Dickens' works and other works, they talk about someone who was a great benefactor to someone. And throughout the story, they're doing something for them just out of kindness, just out of kindness, and it changes the lives of the character. Well, our benefactor is God the Father. He is God, the Almighty God, he is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he is our benefactor. We have his favor in our lives. And that's something that we don't earn. It's grace is not something that we earn. It is just his goodness behind it. It is just because he loves us. It's just because you're one of God's favorites. You're one of God's favorites. You know, in the Old Testament... They had the law. And in the law, there was the blessing of the law and the cursing of the law. And if you followed the law, then you received all the blessings of it. And if you didn't follow it, then you received the cursings of it. But we're not under the law any longer. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He fulfilled the law, and in fulfilling it, he took it out of the way. So the law, the Old Testament law, doesn't apply to us. We live in the grace administration. And I point that out because we don't have to earn everything. In the law administration, when you did the law, then you had the blessings. Sometimes in this administration, people still want to make it about law. 
They still want to make it that you have to do this and you have to do that. And sometimes in, in understanding that there are principles and even immutable laws in the universe, people make it too much about what they have to do instead of what God just freely does. You know, God's grace is upon us. His grace is upon us. And we don't have to earn everything. Yes, there are laws like the law of giving and receiving. Okay, And pretty much everybody understands that. People call it different things. Some people call it karma. Some people call it whatever. But people know that if you go through life being an ornery cuss to everyone, well, then what you give out, you're going to get back. If you, if you just spread negativity and meanness everywhere you go, well, then that's what you're going to receive in return. People understand that there's a law of believing, and believing equals receiving. And those are true. But it doesn't mean that we can only receive God's blessings according to our somehow doing all of these things. God's favor. God does things for us. Did you earn salvation? No. No. It was a gift. Do you think that was the one and only gift that God had to give? No. That he's never going to do anything else. There's never going to be anything just freely given for the rest of your life. No. In fact, it says the opposite of that. It says that if God so loved that he gave his son, how would he not with him freely give us all things? We live in an age of grace. And that's why verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, before we look at that verse in a little more detail, I want you to notice that verse 2 had a period at the end of it. And the punctuation in this is, is very well done. Punctuation, God didn't tell the Apostle Paul, put a comma there, put a semicolon there, put a period there. This is what the translators did. This is what was done as they were doing the King James Version. But it is well done. And I say that because it's well done according to not only the thought flow, but also the grammar of the Greek. But that said, this verse, this sentence begins in verse 3, and if you look at it, it doesn't end until the end of verse 6. If you ever had a composition course and you wrote a sentence that was that long, I guarantee you're going to get in trouble with your English teacher. We don't write sentences like that. We don't, and in this time, in, in our present day, we don't have sentences that are has carefully constructed with clauses building upon clauses as you have in the Bible. And sometimes, because of that, people don't follow the logic of those clauses. But those clauses are very much related to one another, and they build upon one another. And if you're going to really follow the logic and the thought content, you have to follow those clauses and how they relate. They are connected with little words that are very important. We, you can call them little words with big meanings. Okay? And these connective words, these connective words will help you greatly in your understanding of Ephesians or any other part of God's Word if you really notice them. And 
follow the logic that they introduce. Because people don't, so often they miss the greatness of it. And Ephesians is the greatest revelation that was ever given to the church. And yet, for a lot of people, they don't see it. They miss it. And until you really dig into it, until you really stop and think about what's being said there, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see what makes this so great. You're not going to see why is this so important and what makes this so wonderful. Because you're going to miss the great thought content that's there. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who, and who does the who refer to? Or whom does the who refer to? God. And I point this out because besides connectives, one thing you really have to carefully follow is the use of pronouns. You have to follow the use of pronouns as you're going through this. God, the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. With all these spiritual blessings. In other words, everything that God had to give, He has given us. He's done it in Christ, in the work of what Jesus Christ did. It is grace. It's grace because this has all been done according to what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's what you see with Ephesians. It's not focused on you, it's focused on what God did for you. It's not focused on what you have to do, but what God did for you through the work of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Verse 4 begins with, according has. And there's one of those connective words, according has. According sets a standard, okay? If you say, well, tomorrow's going to be a nice day, it's going to be a beautiful day, then somebody might say, according to, uh, what's, what, according to whom? According to what? Okay. Well, according to the Weather Channel. I watched the Weather Channel last night, and they said it's going to be a beautiful day. You know, If you said, um, it looks like the housing market has really bottomed out then if you were selling your house, you'd say, well, where'd you get that from? According to what? Well, according to this study that was done by these realtors. We set a standard. When you say according to, that tells you according to what standard. In verse 3, it talks about us having all spiritual blessings in Christ. And it is according has he, now who does that he refer to? God. Exactly. And this is where you have to be careful. Sometimes people get confused because they'll look to the closest noun, thinking that the closest noun is necessarily the antecedent of the pronoun. But that's not the case. Now, I know I'm getting into more detail here than, you know, but I think this is important in terms of following just the thought flow. The antecedent of a, of a, of a pronoun is not necessarily the closest one to it, but the closest related one. And there's certain rules of grammar that it has to agree in, in case and number and so forth. But logic, 
Logic is what most determines if the other rules of grammar are followed, which noun controls the pronoun. And they switch here. We're talking about God and Jesus Christ. So when you're looking at the pronouns, you have to look back and follow who it's referring back to. So according as he hath chosen us in him, he is referring to God, and in him is referring to Jesus Christ. According as God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and that's literally before the overthrow of the world, that, and there's another connective, that introduces purpose, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So in verse 3, it talked about the spiritual blessings. In verse 4, it tells us that those spiritual blessings came according to God having chosen you before the overthrow of the world. Before the whole big spiritual battle, and if you go back into Genesis, and you go into other places like Isaiah, you'll see, as you follow this through, that after God first created the heavens and the earth, that there was a, a spiritual battle that occurred between Lucifer and one-third of the angels and Michael and another third. And it result of that, a lot of things happened. Before that time, before that even occurred, God had the plan for man's redemption. God had the plan for man's redemption right from the very beginning. He chose you in Christ. In his foreknowledge, he knew that you would be born. He knew that you would believe. And he chose you from that early time. And he did it. He chose you that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That doesn't mean that we would be without fault because we got lots of faults. <laughs> but without blame. We are without blame. And this, again, is not according to what we do, but according to what he's done. Sometimes people confuse this when it says that we should be holy and without blame to take it to mean that we were chosen in him and now we should, we should, not, we should act that way. We should act holy. We should live in a way that is without blame. But that's not the context. The context is not talking about what we are to do. That comes much later. The context here is in what God has done. It's talking about God making us holy. That we have the nature of God when we have Holy Spirit. God is holy, God is spirit, and the gift that he's given us is Holy Spirit. And that gives us that nature that is holy. And he made us righteous. And that is a sonship right. And because we are righteous before him, we can stand in his presence at any time without any sense of sin, guilt, or condemnation. We are without blame, not because we are without fault, but because Jesus Christ made us righteous. having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. God made us holding without blame, having predestinated us unto sonship. 
Predestination has to be understood in terms of God's foreknowledge. And predestination doesn't mean that God takes away your freedom of choice. It's not your destiny in the sense that you have no choice about it. Predestination doesn't mean that God's already mapped it out and he's decided that Mike would believe and the guy across the street wouldn't. Or that somehow God's controlling everything in your life and that you have no freedom of will. That's not what predestination is. Predestination is not God controlling you. It's God controlling the circumstances in the world so that you could have the opportunity to make choices. He predestinated you before the foundation of the world. No matter what trick the adversary came up with, no matter what he did, no matter what he came up with, God had it set so that his son would come. That was his plan, and that was going to happen. And he had it set so that his son could redeem us. Now, his son still had freedom of will. Jesus Christ still had freedom of will in choosing to do that. But God had it set up so that he could and knew in his foreknowledge that he would. And because of that foreknowledge, he knew that you would someday have the opportunity to believe and that things were all set up right down to the individual events of your life so that you could have that opportunity. That's what predestination is all about. And he predestinated you according before the foundations, before the overthrow, to be a son, to be his son. According to what? According to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he do it? According to what? According to God's desire, his desire, his, what gave him pleasure. This was according to his plan, his great plan for a family. And the thing that God desired was to have a family. God desired to have children. And the heart of the father was that he longed to have children that he could love and that could have fellowship with him. And according to that good pleasure, everything else came about. This being done, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. This done to the praise of his grace. It shows how great God's grace is, how great his favor is, that he would do this and that it would be according to grace. Wherein, in that grace, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In the beloved refers to the beloved one. It refers to Jesus Christ. So here it is. God had this great plan. This great plan before the overthrow of the world. And according to that plan, he wanted you to be sons. He had a plan to have a family. And he planned this all out. And he planned out how this would happen. And that this would happen according to this plan to send a Savior, to send a Redeemer. And that this Redeemer would make us holy and without blame before him in love. With all of this in mind, with all of this in mind, then we are now accepted in him. In Christ, we are accepted by God. At one time, before Christ accomplished all this, we were not accepted. 
At one time, we were at enmity with God. It'll talk about that later. At one time, man was separated from God because of the results of, of, what, of what Adam did. But as a result of what Jesus Christ did, we have been accepted. Verse 7. In whom, in whom, referring to Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, of God's grace. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And redemption is that payment. It's that buying back, redeeming. To redeem something is to buy it back. If you, if you put down a deposit on a soda can, you go to the store and you get your nickel back. You know, that's the redemption center is what they even call it if it's just a store that does that. We've got one in town. It's just called the, the redemption center. I don't think it's a place people get saved. I think it's just a place that people get their nickels back. Well, we have been redeemed. We've been bought back. Who have we been bought back from? The devil. Yes. The devil. That's right. Because until a person is saved, he's the legal property of the devil. He's the legal property of him. Because of the fall of man and man taking all of that authority and handing it over to the devil and the devil becoming the God of this world, and because of all that, he has a legal right to do what he wants with the unsaved. But we've been bought back through the payment of Jesus Christ's blood. And with that, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what? Grace. grace. According to the riches of his grace. Look at how many times grace comes up here. Again and again and again, it's grace. This is the grace administration. This is the age of grace that we're living in. We're living right in this age of grace, and boy, we need to recognize that. We need to recognize how much God has done for us and how it is the focus of this age, how it is the focus of this time. Verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Wherein in that grace God's abounded to us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. This Grace so abounds in all wisdom and understanding is that word prudence that we've been made we've been given the knowledge of the great mystery the great mystery which we'll talk about in greater detail here in Ephesians all of this according to according to what according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself Again, this is what pleased God. This is what just was the heart desire of the Father, that we would have this standing, that we would have this great mystery in our lives. Verse 10, For the purpose that in the administration of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In the fullness of times, that's referring to the future. 
it's referring to the next administration. And I've used that word administration a few times now, and I, I need to explain it for those that don't, aren't familiar with it. In the Word of God, there are different periods of time, different administrations. And an administration is a period of time where a certain set of rules apply or precepts apply, where certain things govern what happens in that time. Politically, we have different administrations. Right now, here in the United States, the President of the United States is Donald Trump. This is the Trump administration. Before him, Barack Obama was the President, and we talked about his administration. And certain things changed with that change of Presidents, and different things applied to different administrations. And that's how it is in the Word of God, not that people are elected President, but there are different changes in what governs. What are, the, what are the rules for that time? The first administration was the original or paradise administration. Talking about God's relationship with man, that original one, things were much different than they were after that time. In the original administration, there was one simple thing that man had to do, and he got that one wrong. All he was to do was to not eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and he got that wrong. And that changed things. Certainly anybody would recognize that after that, things were different. And so then from there you go into the patriarchal administration, and certain rules applied there. And then the law came along, and that was another great game changer, because now they were under the law. Then Jesus Christ came, and things changed again. But then as a result of what he did, things changed again, and that's the Grace Administration. After this, when Christ returns, there'll be the next administration, the appearing administration, and there's a lot of things that will happen in that. And then when all of those things conclude, you have the final administration or glory administration. Seven different administrations. And this one is the Grace Administration, and that's what Ephesians deals with and what we're learning about and we'll continue to learn about as we get into this more. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.